0: if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, this morning, as we continue through our our series in Philippians, we're looking at the exaltation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And um, there was a great missionary to India, and he's quoted as saying this, I cannot endure existence if Jesus is to be continually dishonored. If Jesus is to be continually dishonored. And if you stop and you think about it, um, you know, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, it grieves your heart when he is dishonored. Um, it, it, it grieves any believer's heart when the name of Christ is, is brought down and, and dragged through the mud. Um, none of us would, would love uh, that being done to our, our Lord and Savior, obviously. And uh, we've just walked through here in Philippians chapter 2 Christ's humiliation. And uh, the steps down that that the Father led him uh, through so that he could uh, be humiliated for our sake. So that he would, even to the point of of death on a cross. And now Paul turns the tide and he begins to look at the exaltation of Christ. Um, You stop and you think of what we've seen in Christ. We've seen him dishonored. We've seen him despised. We've seen him hated, rejected, ignored, uh, spit upon. Um, He was... His beard was plucked out. He was slapped. He was beaten. He was punched. He was betrayed by his his own comrades. Uh, he was denied. He was whipped. The Bible says he was slandered, and ultimately he was crucified. And that was the the kind of the low point of his humiliation. You stop and you think it was all unjust. What was done to our Lord and Savior? He was not a criminal, and yet he was treated as one. He was not a sinner, and yet he was treated as if he had committed every sin by everyone who had would ever put their faith and trust in Christ. And we have to stop and we have to realise that that Christ reached the lowest depths in humiliation. But we also have to realize that it was God's plan for that to happen. It was God's plan for his own son to be humiliated to that extent. And we saw that in verses 6 through 8 of Philippians. It says, The one who existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant being made in the image, the likeness of man, Uh, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we walk through that together. But as we look at our text this morning, beginning in verse 9, I just want to read through verse 11 for us this morning. Therefore God also has highly exalted Him, who? Christ, and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those who are in heaven, those who are on earth, and those who are under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the exaltation of Christ. We saw his humiliation in verses 6-8. through Now we want to turn our attention to Paul's exaltation of Christ. And we began to look at that last week. I just want to share with you this morning that if if you share the gospel of Christ and it's all about his humiliation, you're missing it. That's an incomplete gospel. You have to also tell about the exaltation of Christ. And we we know that this this passage of Scripture was probably a hymn in the New Testament church that they used to sing together. And it's the fullness of the Christian message. It's not just the humiliation of Christ, but it's also the exaltation of Christ. And we have to remember that. It seems that most of us are pretty complacent and content, you might say, to dwell on Christ's humiliation. You know, we look at him suffering. We look at the passion of the Christ. All that that involved. But he, we don't serve a humiliated Christ, beloved. We serve an exalted Christ. And that's important for us to understand. It grieves my heart every time I enter a Catholic Church I was born and raised in the Catholic Church and not born in the church but I mean I was raised from a little baby up in the church and you know one of the things that I always remember about the Catholic faith you walk into the church what do you see you see a cross and you know what the cross is not empty beloved it has our Savior hanging on the cross that religion is really a religion of suffering every time the priest during Mass, if you've ever been to a, a Catholic Mass, he brings the chalice and the bread and he lifts it up to heaven. And what he's doing is he's bringing Christ, this is what they're teaching, is back out of heaven to be sacrificed once again for the sins of the people. That's what the Mass is all about in the Catholic Church. A lot of people don't realize that. That's not biblical. That's not what our Bible says. Our Bible said our Savior was, was crucified and sacrificed once for all. That's why on the cross he was able to say, it is finished. I don't have to keep on sacrificing for the sins of my people. It's done. But we tend to see Christ on the cross rather than the glory which God has bestowed upon him. And I think that this morning this passage is going to help us understand a little bit more about the exaltation, a little bit more about the glory of Christ. And we looked last week at four steps just in review of the exaltation of Christ. We looked at step one, and you remember what that was, that God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And I think that it's, it's so important that we understand that. Part of the exaltation of Christ, Acts 13.33, the Apostle Paul preaches on the subject, and uh, he says God raised him up. Over and over again in the New Testament, we see in in Acts 13, 34, and as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay. And we have to stop and we have to realize that our Savior is not still hanging on the cross. He's an exalted Savior. So the first step in his exaltation was his resurrection. Then we looked in in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, and it it says basically that Jesus was speaking with the disciples there and uh, uh, completed what he was saying. And then the Bible says that he was lifted up right right there in front of them. I mean, can you imagine if all of a sudden I just started to float up and went right through the ceiling and into the sky? That's what happened with Christ. That's his ascension. So that's just another aspect of his exaltation. Not only was he raised from the dead, but he ascended, the Bible says. And the Bible says where he ascended to. It says God raised him up from the dead. Secondly, he ascended to heaven. That's where Christ is. And we see where he ascended to heaven in Scripture. And that's his coronation because he's at the right hand of God. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says, All authority has been given to me, this is Christ speaking, in heaven and on earth. See, when he ascended, he was resurrected, then he ascended into heaven, he was placed at the right hand of God the Father. In other words, God gave him all authority, complete authority. Mark sixteen nineteen put it this way, So when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God completing his earthly work in John five twenty two, we read all judgment was given into his hand into Christ's hand in other words he was put in a position to to basically deal with every case that would come before God the Father he became a supreme ruler on the very throne of God at God's right hand now you might say well why didn't he sit at the left hand maybe some of you lefties are out there going why didn't he sit at the left hand of God well the right hand is always it seems in history and in culture a symbol of power a symbol of authority when the king moved he always moved with power and authority with his right hand that's just how it played out and Christ then becomes the right hand of God the Father the one who acts with power and authority on behalf of the Almighty God. Turn over to Acts chapter 7. Just quickly. Acts chapter 7. And you look back at uh, verse 54. This is where Stephen was being. Murdered basically with with stones, they were stoning him. And it says in in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they and they gnashed at him with their teeth. That's how upset they were when he basically uh, talked about the Lord. Verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven. Look at this, and he saw God gave him a glimpse. It says of the glory of God. And what was that glory? It tells us. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Look. I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, the crowd obviously was arrayed. Look at what they said in verse 57. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear about it. And they ran at him in one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul before his conversion. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had done this, he fell asleep or he died, the Bible says. What did he see in heaven? He saw Jesus Christ at the right hand of God, the place of power, the place of authority. We well, say, well, how much power, how much authority does the Lord Jesus have? Well, Ephesians chapter 1, when we went through that, we saw that. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 says, He is seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places. And it goes on be- even beyond that. It says, far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, beloved, but it says in the one to come. What's Paul saying there in Ephesians? He's saying he is above everything. He's above every rule. He's above every authority. He's above every power. He's above every dominion. He's above every name in every age possible. In verse 22 in Ephesians 1 says that God has put all things in subjection under His feet, under Christ's feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, and the fullness of Him who fills all in all. He rules everything. And that's what we have to remember. He is the right arm, the right hand of God. Power, authority, rule, dominion of everything. A little later on in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes this, He ascended far above the heavens that He might fill all things. See, that's the exaltation of Christ. We do not serve a Christ who is still in the grave. We don't serve a Christ who is still hanging on the cross. We serve a Christ who was not only raised from the dead, but He ascended into heaven, and then He was coronated as basically the ruler of everything. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says, We see Him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels namely Jesus because of suffering and death crowned with glory in honor that's his pool that's his that's his power how much power he has how much authority Well, how much glory does he have he is sovereign in the universe the Bible tells us he's at the right hand arm of God he's at the right hand of power power dominion authority all that and so we have to make sure that we see Christ not only in his humiliation but also in his exaltation we see a risen Lord we see an ascended Lord we see a Lord who is. Uh, just given the authority, First Peter three twenty two says angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to Him who is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. That's His exaltation. Well, there's another phase to it. Not only His resurrection and His ascension and His coronation, but also we looked at His intercession a little bit. And the Bible says that He is basically holding court. He he's has an open session as a high priest. And his first act as a high priest was to dispense the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 2.33 excuse me, says that very clearly. That he, he sent the Holy Spirit and now he sits in the seat of intercession. Ephesians 1 says that he's the head of the church. He's the high priest. And he's, he can be sympathetic with us. He's not some distant God that we could never relate to because he walked in our shoes that's why he became a man that's why he came down and and was incarnate in flesh so that he could better understand what we're dealing with and it was necessary for that to happen because it was part of God's plan Ephesians 4 8 says that it's, it's Christ who bestowed on the church the gifted men that rule and, and, and minister and, and help in the church it's, it also says that it's the one he is the one who grants us faith. Hopefully you realize that that you're saved today, if you're saved. if you're born again here this morning, you didn't get saved because you your, your own faith. You say, what's well, my faith? No, it's not. It's a gift from God. That's how gracious God is to us. He, he grants us the faith to believe in him. The Bible also says that he even grants us repentance. How many times have you went out and shared the Lord with somebody and said, you know, you just need to repent? The Bible says a non-believer can't repent <laughs> unless God intercedes in their heart. Unless God works in their heart. He grants them repentance. We're not saved because one day I woke up and said, oh, you know what? I don't think I'm a very good guy, so I guess I better I better repent clean my act up and then come to God and then God will save me. No, that's not what happened at all. I heard the gospel several times before I I repented, several times before I came to Christ. Then all of a sudden what happened? God struck my heart and he showed me my own sinfulness before a holy God. And I began to realize, you know what, I could be as, as as good as anybody here on earth, but that wouldn't be good enough. See, it's not our good works, it's by his grace. And by his grace the Lord Jesus gifts the church, he grants us faith, he grants us repentance. And the Bible says also he grants us forgiveness. All those come from the exalted hand of Christ. As Ken read Hebrews chapter 1. It's the resurrected, ascended, coronated, interceding Christ that we see there. It says in verse 2 of Hebrews 1 that He's appointed heir of all things. That's a totally comprehensive statement. He's the heir of all things. In other words, he literally has inherited everything that we see around us. That's why in Revelation 5, we see it's Christ who takes the scroll. And that scroll is basically the title deed to earth. And that scroll was sealed because you've got to remember it was kind of an important document. Just like it is today, you know, you don't just take the deed to your house and throw it out in the street and say, I'll pick it up later. No, it's an important document. Well, back then what they used to do is they would roll those scrolls up and they would seal them. So that when you went to the realtor and said, hey, here's a title deed, he would look at it and say, okay, it's sealed by an official. So therefore, I know that you didn't go in there and make some changes or change anything to this deed because it's that important. Well, in Revelation 5, it says that 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 title deed to the earth was so important is that it was sealed not just once, but seven times. Just to make sure that nobody opened it. They couldn't find anybody that could open it, but Jesus was the one who broke the seven seals, and He unrolls the the title deed to earth, and He takes possession of the earth, of everything in the universe. And basically, when you read through the, the book of Revelation, what you're reading is basically Him undoing that seal, undoing that scroll, and taking possession of everything around us it says further about him that in verse 3 of of Hebrews 1 that he's the glory of God he's the radiance of God he's the exact representation of the nature of God verse 3 it says that he made he had made purification of sins and that's what he accomplished with our redemption on the cross and he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high having completed his work on the cross God raised him up from the dead he lifted him up into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God even now it also says that he inherited not only a better uh, personage than the angels but a more excellent name than the angels you notice today it's kind of Slide it off a little bit, but there was a time when, boy, the worship of angels was a big deal. You couldn't go in a gift shop without seeing angel statues and all these angels. Everybody had angels hanging in their windows and on their cars and all sorts of things. Well, they're missing it. We're not called to worship angels. Angels and us are called to worship the sun And it says there, For to which of these angels did God ever say, You're my Son, today I've begotten to you? The answer is none of them. To which of the angels did God ever say, I'll be a father to him, and he'll be a son to me. The answer is none of them. See, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world when Jesus was born, he said, Let all the angels of God what? Worship him. He's higher than the angels, beloved. None of them is a Son of God in the, in the sense that Christ is. None of them is ever called to be worshiped. We're never called to worship angels. We're called to worship the Son of God. Just like they are called not to worship each other, they're called to worship the Son of God as well. In verse 8 of Hebrews, it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. See, Jesus Christ is God. He's eternal God. He is called God forever and ever. And He's a righteous God. And the Bible says that He's anointed above His companions. Well, who are His companions? The angels. He's anointed above them. We need to make sure that we understand that and that we keep that in perspective. He's Creator God. It says, In the heavens are the work of thy hands. John said, Without Him was not anything made that was made. Paul says it in in Romans 11.36, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. See, Christ is the one who made the heavens and the earth around us. They all will become old as a garment and as a mantle, the Word says, and Thou will roll them up as a garment and they will also be changed. But Thou art the same and Thy years will never come to an end. He is the Creator God, the Sustainer God. We need to remember that. Now last, last week, we looked at the central truth of Christianity and that is basically that Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord and, and we have to know that if we know if we don't know anything else we have to understand that there's no way that you can have a complete understanding of the Word of God and a complete understanding of your own salvation if Jesus if you don't understand who Jesus is that he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings The Bible says that he's exalted so that we have assurance that our redemption is complete. That's why Christ is exalted. He's exalted so that we can have assurance that there's a hope in heaven waiting for us. If Christ wasn't exalted, then this is all for naught. Because he's the anchor that holds us. Because Christ is exalted we have the assurance that there's ongoing forgiveness because that's where he's at now making intercession for us the Bible says see and so it's it's an incomplete gospel if you don't have the humiliation and you only have the exaltation because Christ had to become a man but it's also an incomplete gospel if all you have is the humiliation and not the exaltation you have to have both that's the Christian message Jesus I mean, the popular message today is is basically that we we have placed so much emphasis, I believe, on the grace of God. And rightfully so. I mean, the grace of God is a wonderful thing. We'd all be lost without it. But I think that it's gotten out of balance somehow. We we have made salvation such an act of grace that we even talk about it, you know, well, how, how do we share Christ? Well, you know, you need to receive a gift of salvation now it is a gift and you do have to receive it but there's more to that just the message that Jesus died for you and you have to receive a gift there's so much more to the salvation message than that see it's so much more than some humiliated Jesus who died for you and offers you a gift we have to stop and we have to remember that we serve an exalted Christ It's not a humiliated Jesus that offers us a gift. It's an exalted Christ. It's a a Christ who was coronated Lord of everything. And the Bible says that we have to bow our knee in submission to Him. Or we're not saved. It's that simple. You can go to church all you want. You can pray all you want. You can even read the Bible all you want. But until you come to a point where you acknowledge that, you know what, it's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And it's about bowing your knee before a holy God, before the presence of our Lord and Savior, then you've missed it. You've really missed it. I think there's a lot of of problems when you just preach half of that message, it gives us bad results, tragic results. I think people who believe that Jesus is just some humble guy that suffered and is there to to give him a free gift—they don't have any sense or any allegiance to who he really is as Lord. They don't understand it. So let's look at verse nine today. That was all introduction, by the way. So, verse nine. I'm going to try to get through this. I don't know if we were not last week we looked at the two statements in verse 9 therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name and the the first thing we wanted to look at about Christ's exaltation was the source who was exalting him And, and we concluded basically that the source of his exaltation was God that's what it says there therefore God also highly exalted him Christ didn't exalt himself God the Father exalted him. and we went over the point that when you're exalted by God you are truly exalted if you try to exalt yourself what happens you're in trouble right you don't exalt yourself uh being exalted by god puts him and you where everything ought to be so god highly exalted him that's a wonderful truth secondly we looked at the title of his exaltation what is the title of Christ's exaltation not only the source which was god but we also looked at the title now, i just kind of want to review this a little bit the title of his exaltation is, is Lord. That's what it is. Verse 9 says, God bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And there's so many people, that, oh, I know what that is. It's the name of Jesus. No, it's not. It's not the name of Jesus. Jesus is a human name, just like Bob, Henry, or Steve. There's a lot of people named Jesus. But there's only one Lord. And we have to remember that. We pointed out last week that it's not the name Jesus, it's the name Lord. The name Jesus is a human name. But it says that He gave Christ a new name, a name which was above every other name. Well, that couldn't be the name Jesus because there was people named Jesus before Jesus was ever around. The name Jesus was a name of humiliation. Humiliation. The name Jesus was the name when that he was given at his birth, at his incarnation. That's not the name of his exaltation. Born in the city of David, and you call his name what? Lord? No, it doesn't say that. It says Jesus. It's the name of the Saviour, the sacrifice. Well, what is the name that he's talking about here that's above every name? Verse 11 tells us. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord. That's the name above every other name. That's the name of sovereignty. That's the name of majesty. That's the name of a a monarchy. Now you stop and you think, Christ has many names. Our Lord has many names. Revelation chapter 3, there's a beautiful promise given to believers in the church there in Philadelphia. And in Revelation 3.12, it's a promise to all believers, and it says this, I will write upon him, that is the overcomer, in other words, the believer, I will write upon him the name of my God, and also the name of the city of my God, and also the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and thirdly, I'll write on him my new name. So there's three things that he's going to basically stamp those who follow Christ with he says I'm gonna write on my people three things first of all the name of my God Do you know as a believer you're stamped with the very name of God he imprints you he brands you secondly it says you're stamped with heaven the name of the the city of my God the New Jerusalem that's a reference to heaven And thirdly, he says, you're stamped with Christ's new name, which is what? The Lord. You belong to Him. Do you ever think about this? I thought about this the other day. You know, sometimes when you drive down I-5 and you go up over the uh, grapevine, and they have that ranch there. I forget what the name of it is. And they got all those cows everywhere. Okay. Now, You know, the thing you do with a cow when it's part of a herd is the the owner will take a a hot iron with his imprint on it, whatever. It could be his initials. Say if it was my cow, it would be SHC. Okay? And I'd creatively make this little insignia on this thing, and I'd heat this thing up nice and hot, and I'd pull the cow in there, and I'd say, okay, you're mine. And I'd brand him. And he'd probably, or whatever. You know? But then he'd go his way. And I'd do that to every cow that was mine. It would have my brand on it. So when I have my cows grazing out in my field, and one wanders from the herd, and they wander over to your field, and you say, Hey, I got a new cow. Look at this. And I realize that one of mine is gone, and you look at your cow the cow that wandered over there, and you realize, oh this is this is his cow. Why? Because it has a brand on it. It doesn't make it any less mine because it wandered off of my property. It doesn't make it any less mine because it's not part of the other herd. But I branded it with something, and that brand won't go away. It's there. It's permanent. And so what happens? I go over and say, hey, that's my cow. How do you know? Because it's got a brand on it. God, when we come to Christ, beloved, God brands us. Not just once, but three times. Ouch! (laughs) He brands us with His name, He brands us with a place called heaven, and He brands us with us belonging to the One who is above every name, the Lord of lords and King of kings. Now you stop and you think about this in in relative to your eternal security, in relative to your perseverance as a believer. If God brands you, you're His. It doesn't matter what you do or where you go, you're His. See, it's, it's really a, a, a way of, of depicting our, our security as believers. Now, as a cow, you're going to act like a cow, and as a believer, hopefully you'll act like a believer. That doesn't give you a free pass to go out and do whatever you want, because that's why the Bible says that those who believe in Christ will persevere. It's not something we do, it's something He does for us. That's the brand that God puts on us. Well, what's the response to this? Okay, we looked at the source. We looked at this name which is above every name, Christ. And you look there that, that basically when it, when it tells us that we should confess that Jesus is Lord. All right? It's so I mean, it's so important that we look at verse 10 because I mean, just in case you're calling this into question. It says that at the name, in verse 10, look at your translation, at the name Jesus, every knee should bow, doesn't say that, does it? It says at the name of Jesus. Well, what's the new name of Jesus? The new name of Jesus is Lord. So thirdly, what's our response to all this? God has highly exalted Christ. He's the source of it. He's given him a new name, which is Lord. And now the third is our response. What's the response to this exaltation that Christ has received? Well, it tells us very clearly in verse 10 that at the name of Jesus, which is what? Lord, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. Well, what is that? What is bowing? When you bow before something, what are you doing? You're worshiping it. See, the response of Christ's exaltation in our life should be one of worship. That's what we're called to do. The source is God. The name is Lord. The response is obviously worship. You notice there in verse 10, the very beginning it says that at the name of Jesus. It's called a purpose clause in the the original language. And basically what it does is it indicates there's there's a purpose or a result to this. In other words, you might read it this way. way. He is given the name which is above every name in order that, or with the result that, at the name of Jesus which is Lord, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, the purpose of him being given that name was to put him in authority and to cause everything else around to bow to that authority. That's the purpose of it. That's why it says, at the name of Jesus. It doesn't say the name Jesus, but the name of Jesus. What is that name? The name Lord. Curios. See, that's what salvation is all about. That's what coming to Christ is all about. That's why He came to die. In order that, that dying, He might accomplish our salvation on our behalf. He was resurrected, He ascended, He was coronated as Lord. He intercedes for us. And we see Him now not in His humiliation hanging on a cross, but we see Him in His exaltation. We see Him not as some humble teacher here on earth, but we see Him as an exalted person of the Trinity. We see Him as Lord. And salvation is for those who come to Him and confess that Jesus is Lord. And if you want to look at that from a negative point of view, all you have to do is go over to Matthew chapter 7 and Christ says himself that, you know what, there's many people that are going to falsely claim to have salvation. There's so many people, even in churches today, that say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I go to church. I read the Bible. I I pray to prayer. I did this. I did that. Go on and on and on. You know what? A lot of those people one day are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going to say, God, haven't I done marvelous works in your name? Look at all that I've done. I've cast out demons. I've healed the sick. I've done all these things. And what does Christ answer to that? He says, you know what? I never, ever, ever knew you. Depart from me, you who do workers of iniquity. That's a strong statement. See, the essential... Part of salvation is acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord, and He's got to be your personal Lord. It can't just be some profession from your mouth. You never see Jesus going through the New Testament. Oh, come here! I want to share. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, just pray this little prayer here at the end. Oh, your little. I'll, I'll just pray it for you, and you just follow me, and you go through that little ridiculous thing that people do every day, and then you tell the person, now you're a believer." Oh, don't question your salvation. You just go and go with God. Next. You know, that person is no more a believer than whatever. It's just frustrating sometimes because they're not preaching the full message of the gospel. And part of that message is, you know what? You have to come to Christ and you have to acknowledge His Lordship in your life. What's that do? That causes us to be humbled. I don't know about you, but I don't like to give control over to other people whether it be in the car, whether it be anywhere, at work or anywhere. I don't like to relinquish control of things. Nobody does when you really get honest with yourself. Why? Because we like to be in control. Well, the Bible says, you know what? If you're going to come to Christ and you're going to do it legitimately, you have to basically realize that, you know what? You're not in control. God is in control. Why? Because He is Lord. We're to worship Him. And first of all, that means that at the name of Jesus, which is Lord, we are to bow our knees. You notice there it says every knee should bow. It's in the original language in such a way that it says basically every knee will bow. Every knee must bow is implied. But every knee will bow is also there. They must acknowledge His Lordship. You know what? They must and they will one day. Either by choice or by force. But every knee, beloved, mark this down, will bow before Jesus Christ as Lord. Why? Because He is exalted. He was given that name, Lord, for the very purpose to have people bow before Him. Some of us, by God's grace, are able to bow now at the foot of Christ. We bow our knee now because of His grace, not because of something we've done. Others, in the future, will have to bow. And they'll they'll bow because they're forced to bow. It also says there, every tongue should confess. And those two phrases are taken out of Isaiah 45 that we looked at last week. And it strongly emphasizes the sole authority and sovereignty of God. There's no other way to look at that. Isaiah 45 is... Directly speaking of the sovereign ma- majesty of God. Just listen to a little portion as I read. There's no god besides me. Isaiah 45:21 says, "A righteous god and a savior there's none except me. Turn to me be saved of all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself." In other words, there's no other authority that he can swear by because he's he's at the top. It says, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. Everything I say is righteous and everything I say happens. To me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. And they will say, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Isaiah 46, 5 picks it up and it says, to whom will you liken me, God says, and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike. And then he gives this example, those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on a scale, hire a goldsmith and make it into a god, you know what he's referring to. And he goes on and he says, the golden calf, are you going to make me to an idol? Make, liken me to an idol? They lift it up on their shoulder and they carry it around and they set it in its place and it stands there. And and Isaiah says it doesn't move from its place. No man can cry to it because it can't answer. It can't deliver him from his distress. Are you going to liken me to that? God asks. Remember this and be assured. He goes on. Recall to your mind, you transgressors, remember the former things long past. I am God and there is no other, he says. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, the ancient times uh, from which have been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish my, all my good pleasure. That name, Jesus Christ, Lord, bears His exaltation. You don't just receive Jesus. That's not what salvation is about. You receive the Lord Jesus, or you don't receive Him at all. You don't just take a gift from some humiliated Savior. You bow your knee to an exalted, majestic, sovereign God. That's what salvation is all about. And in verse 10, it tells us this is what's going to happen. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And then it gives us three categories. Now, if you have the King James, the old King James this morning, it's unfortunate they put things in there. I don't know why they did that. It's it's not even in the original language because things don't worship God. People do. But it says, and that every tongue should confess, or those in heaven... First of all, the first category, who are those in heaven? Well, there's two groups. If you stop and you think about it, who's in heavens right now? Well, those who died and were in Christ, the redeemed believers. And also, there's there's elect angels in heaven. So there's two groups of people in heaven right now. Their spirits are there, the redeemed believers. Their their bodies are still in the grave, and they'll be resurrected um, at the resurrection. But their spirits are in heaven with the Lord. And so those who are in heaven are already acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. They're bowing their knee and they're worshiping him in his exalted state. They're confessing his lordship. And like I said, first of all, it's the holy angels, the elect angels, the ones who didn't fall, the seraphim, the cherubim, and all all that. And it's also the saints, those who have gone before us, who have died in Christ, those who were Christians when they died, well, they're in heaven. In Hebrews 12:23, it says, "The general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, the spirits of righteous men made perfect. One day, when we go to be with Christ, we will be made perfect." I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day, and I know some of you are too. Your body creaks and groans and pains and gives you all sorts of things. One day, if you know Christ, you will be in his presence and in a glorified state that will just be incredible. We can't even imagine it. Well, they're already doing it because they're already in heaven. Those who have died before us. Turn over to Revelation 4. I just want to give you this little picture of what it's going to be like. I mean and this doesn't I mean it does it justice, but it really doesn't. I mean it's just just a little little picture here. Revelation chapter four. John writes, In these things I looked, and after these things I, I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And the one who sat on the throne, he who sat on the throne, uh, there was like jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. And they had cr- uh, crowns of gold on their heads. And from the thorns, pr- from the thorns, from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and, th- and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal. It says. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature was like a man and the fourth had the face of a man, the the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle and the four living creatures each having six wings were full of eyes around and within and they did not rest day or night and they said this holy 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 Lord God Almighty who was it who, who was and is and is to come and whenever the living creatures give glory In honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. just gives you a little picture of what it's going to be like but that's the group that is talking about there those who are in above the earth those who are in heaven well what about on the earth it says they're not only those who are in heaven but also those on the earth well that's us we will bow our knee and every person on earth today will bow the knee The men and women here who bow the knee to Christ, who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We're to follow that pattern Paul gives us in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Those two are connected. In 2 Thessalonians Thessalonians 1, verse 7, it says, When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, He will deal out retribution on those who do not know God. Now listen, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. They're bowing the knee to Jesus as Lord. Some will bow in homage as our song we sang earlier. They'll adore and love and worship. And you know what? Some will bow in utter terror and fear and horror to enter eternal damnation and punishment in a place called hell, the lake of fire. But mark this, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. When He goes back to subdue the earth, He'll destroy the wicked from the earth. And cast them into utter darkness, hell, and establish His kingdom. With the sheep of Matthew 25, He takes us into the kingdom. But you know what? The goats will bow to His lordship as well. The sheep will be taken into His kingdom, the Bible says in Matthew 25. But the goats will be cast out. And what it says is, Depart from Me, you accursed ones, into an eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That brings us to the third group of folks here, not only those above the earth and on the earth, but he says in closing, those under the earth. That speaks of an eternal place of hell. And and mark my words, it's a real place. It's not some figment of your imagination. You hear people, Well, I think hell's right here on earth. No, it's not. This this doesn't even this shies in comparison to, to hell. You can't even imagine the torment. And the the eternal punishment that is there. See, Jesus Christ is now receiving worship from the elect and the holy angels and the spirits of of that, that were that were made perfect, the redeemed saints. But someday he'll come to earth and he'll demand by compulsion the worship of the unbelieving world. And it'll be too late for them at that point. At that point, there's no way you can say, "Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, you are Lord." Uh, by the way, I think I'll oh, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you now. It's too late. Matthew 25:41 says that he will cast them out those who don't bow the knee. Serious stuff. It says, "He's Lord," every tongue will confess. That word confess means to acknowledge, to agree, to affirm. Everyone will agree that He is the Lord. Whether you're saved or not at that point, it's irrelevant. Every tongue, doesn't mean every physical tongue there, it's talking about languages. Every human language, all languages will confess that He is the Lord. Next week, we'll look at the the final step in His exaltation. Why does this all happen? It gives it there at the end. To the glory of God the Father. That's why. That's why Christ is exalted. It's for God's glory. The glory of God the Father. Let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer and prepare our hearts for our communion time together. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we do pray that you would ready our hearts for our our communion time. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just stop at the cross, but Father, you took your only son and you had him put in a grave, but then you raised him from the dead, and you just didn't stop there, but he ascended to be with you in heaven. And it wasn't good enough for him just to be in heaven. He had to be at your right hand. The power of authority. The power of supreme sovereignty. That that position of supreme sovereignty. And Father, he intercedes for us there. And Lord, we thank you that it wasn't up to Christ to exalt himself. Lord, he, he submitted to your will while he was here on earth. He was exalted by you. And Father, You gave Him that name, the name Lord, which is above every possible name. And our response to that, Lord, should be one of worship. We thank You for Your Spirit that dwells in us as believers actively. That we would desire to pray to You. That we would desire to read Your Word. That we would desire to fellowship with those in the fellowship. Father, if those things aren't there, there's a good chance that we may have made a profession of Christ. But no transformation ever took place. None. In other words, you're still in your sin. You need to cry out to God this morning. You need to ask Him to extend His grace to you. Why? Why? Because of your own sinfulness. because of Your own sinfulness. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And we all need a Savior. And Lord, I pray for each one here this morning that we would cry out to You. That we would humble ourselves before You. And Father, that You would do that work in our hearts that only You can do through Your Spirit. Father, for those of us who know You and count You as our Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that we would be humble before You, be humble before each other, that we would look out for the interests of others more than our own, as You call us to do. Father, as we come before this communion table this morning, Lord, I ask that You would just cause us to be thankful For all that Christ did on our behalf and Lord we pray that you would minister to each one's heart father your word says that we should examine ourselves that we shouldn't just come here and take the cracker and the juice and like it's a little snack Lord but we should come here with reverence in our hearts the Bible also cautions if those who may be here who don't know you personally I just pray that they would feel comfortable enough to pass that on by because it really doesn't mean anything to them. But for those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that we would make sure that before before you our hearts are, are pure and clean. And Lord, we sin every day. And yet, you, Lord, your grace is extended to us. And so, Father, we pray that if we've done anything to dishonor your name, to dishonor you, that we would repent of that. You so graciously grant that to us and allow us to continue to cling on to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we just pray now that you would lead us through our brief time of worship before our communion time. and Just speak to each one's heart. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.